Hello and welcome back, everybody. Today I'm joined by Dr. Alison Pierce, Associate Professor of Film at the University of Leeds, writer, playwright, filmmaker, just about everything you can imagine. I'm so excited to have Alison on the show today. Alison, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you for having me on, Amber. It's very nice to be here. Um, I do love doing my podcasts and meeting new people and getting to connect with horror film fans. So I'm really looking forward to this. Honestly, it's such a delight. Like every time I do this podcast, every time I start a new Zoom chat, I've just like, I feel like I've just made a brand new friend for life. It's Aww. just, it's just amazing. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to think like that, but I think. Yeah, it's like, well, let's see how this goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alison, I recently watched and reviewed for for Ghouls magazine um, your film, your short film, Three Ways to Dine Well, which was at Final Girls Film Fest Berlin. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind that film? Because I really loved it. And in my review, I said it bulked my watch list up tenfold. It was amazing. So yeah, what inspired you to make something like that? Oh, thank you. And thank you for your lovely review. Um, it's nice to know that the film is going out into the world and people are seeing it. And on the whole, they seem to be into it. And I was particularly pleased when you said um, it's giving you like a whole new list of films to watch, which is basically like what the project is. Um, so like there's a couple of inspirations for it. So it's an essay film. So it's composed of um, clips from lots of other films with a voiceover. And I really love films like that. Like my major inspiration is um, Beyond Clueless, which is an amazing feature length documentary all about um, teen high school films. Oh, amazing. And it's, it's shot um, in exactly the same kind of principle that the whole thing is composed of clips from other films and it's voiced um, by one of the girls from The Craft. Oh, amazing. And it's amazing. I love it. I love films like that. So I love films that are like compilations of other films. So Beyond Clueless is like a teen movie one. Um, there's one called Los Angeles Plays Itself, which is composed of loads of shots of films of set in Los Angeles. And there's an amazing 24-hour art piece called The Clock. Oh, wow. Which is... Um, the whole 24 hours told through snippets of excerpts of clocks in films. In that order. is amazing. I, so I love all that. So I used to teach quite a lot of documentary. So I've always been really into that. And then at the same time, I was doing all this research about women filmmakers in horror. And like, I write my books and I publish my essays. But I was just trying to think of different ways to put my research mm -hmm. like out into the world. Yeah. And I thought I'd love to do one of these kind of short essay films. And like my goal is really just to put all these films out, a lot of them that people don't really know about or don't really get talked about and just get them out into the world so people learn about filmmakers like Jackie Kong, who I'm obsessed with. Um, so I wanted to do that. And I was thinking, I can't put out a project that's just like, oh, look at all these women that have been written out of history. Isn't this shit? Like, no one's going to want to watch that. Um, I would. So I was trying... Yeah, well, I, yeah, I feel like... I feel like my audience is already quite niche. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure like how niche I can go. Um, so I was trying to think of something that would be kind of primal and universal that would like connect everybody. And I thought, well, eating. I was reading mm. Virginia Woolf and she was talking about um, how when she went to do a talk, I think it was at Cambridge, the women's college had really shitty crap food and mm -hmm. no alcohol. And the men's college had loads of really good stuff. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And so I thought I'd do something around eating 
So I thought I'm always going to find examples of eating. So many. In horror films, so many. Um, And so I just began to group it together through a narrative around the different ways that eating's explored. And Mm. I tried to start the beginning with the obvious one, which is like food loathing. Mm -hmm. Because I thought that's like, that's what, if you say I'm going to do something on eating in horror films, you immediately expect it to be something disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so I went in with food loathing and then I kind of just went off track and went into girls who eat boys because that's something I'm very into. So like the love and Jennifer's body and mm-hmm. ginger snaps. And then I went to the big one, which is one I'm actually interested in, which is like dining tables and how they become like a source of power and control. And mm-hmm. that's what ended up it became really. And um, it was the first film I've ever tried to make. Um, I decided I was going to edit it. Then I started teaching myself Adobe Premiere Pro because I've got no editing background. And I was like, wow, this is a lot. So then I got my brother to edit it because my brother's got a master's in post-production. He was oh, like, he can do it then. Yeah. Yeah, Al, I think this might be a bit beyond you. And I was like, <laughs> so my brother edited it and I got my husband to do the music. So, Oh, that's so great. So it's like a little family production. Yeah, so unfortunately, it's a family production where I'm in charge shouting at my brother and my husband. So I don't know how they feel about that. (laughs) Well, I absolutely loved it. And one of my favorite parts, speaking of the Jennifer's body, is when you called Chip from Jennifer's body, you called him a Spaniel? Or I think you called him like a loyal Spaniel. He is. He's a little puppy dog. He's, you know, he's got those huge, like big brown eyes, this floppy hair. And he is like a loyal little puppy. Um, Yeah. I just love how so many of these films that you showcased in three ways had women involved in like major roles behind the scenes, like production, editing, uh, directing, things that I didn't even know. Um, Yeah. You know, things like women get overlooked so much, I I feel, in film anyway, but especially in roles that aren't like directors or actors exactly and it was just amazing like even the film we're going to speak about today I didn't know that Louise Ford who edited I didn't know the editor's a woman so thank you so much again you you're nailing everything that I want this film to do which is like open up all the roles that women have done Mm -hmm. on films like we still have historically this thing about um we're looking at the director and looking at the actors and directors are fine and there's plenty of women directors in three ways to dine well mm-hmm. but like other roles are just as important and you know I want the people to watch it and go oh I didn't realize a woman co-wrote The Shining yeah mm-hmm. or you know oh I didn't realize um, a woman worked on Peeping Tom and you know it's just like opening it up to think about all the different creative production roles that's like really important to me particularly because like even today the director is like the top role yes and because mm-hmm. of like the patriarchy fewer women get to do that so if we want to look at women filmmakers we have to start taking into account the other roles as well oh, absolutely i completely agree especially as like now uh the oscars the academy have just announced that they're not going to um broadcast i think it was like some of the categories they're not even going to broadcast anymore like best editing or Something like, yeah, like they're going to obviously do best actor and um, best directing and things like that. But yeah, editing and I think soundtrack is the other one. They're not even going to broadcast them because they like don't think they're important enough or whatever. And that's just completely unfathomable (laughs) to me. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. Like you said, there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes that makes a film what it is. It's just Exactly. So important. It's so important. Um, you're also working on another documentary short called Knit One yeah. Stab Two, which is 
uh, about knitting in uh, yeah. in horror films. So I would love to know how hard was it for you to find knitting <laughs> in horror movies, and how long have you been like scraping through? Oh, this is a project. I really, you know, we talk about like using newsletters and film newsletters and. Um, the the newsletter readers that I have are the ones to thank really for me doing this project. So like I say, I think like a lot of what I do is quite niche, but I personally like really like knitting. I'm not actually very good at it. I'm actually much better at crochet, um, but I do like I do like knitting. Um, and I just started to notice examples where there was knitting in horror films. And when I mentioned this in my newsletter, just as an aside, I got so many replies back from people <laughs> going, I love knitting, I love horror films. Do more on this, do more. And um, so I kind of occasionally kept mentioning it and I was always getting enthusiastic responses, but like, oh my God, I would love to see this. So I thought I was already very, very niche, but I think it turns out that there's some kind of crossover point between women who like knitting and women who like horror films. And it's actually quite... Um, like a sturdy percentage of people. That is so. really interesting. Maybe it's like the the needle. Maybe it's because I have to say when it's, I read in your newsletter, I was racking my brains because I'm not a knitter, <laughs> and the only thing I could think of was um, Titan. Like she has a needle yeah. that she puts in her hair. Could that be a knitting needle? Maybe I'm I going know. to include that one. I <gasps> okay, am. amazing. Okay, so that's the latest example. So I've written and redrafted the script and mm. sent it to the actor who's going to do the voiceover because I did the voiceover for Three Ways to Dangle but I hated it like I'm not um I'm not an in front of the camera type person like that's not I'm much more I would see myself much more like writer director end mm-hmm. than performer so I was like I'm not I am not doing that I mean I was horrible <laughs> I was Ooh. horrible to record <laughs> I really hated it I was really grumpy really grumpy about the whole thing even though it was my idea so anyway I locked the script and I've sent it off the voiceover to the actor who's going um, this wonderful actor called Tanya Vital who's going to be recording it in a few weeks. Um, but what I can do, so now the voiceover's locked, but I can still mess with the images mm-hmm. and the kind of the excerpts. So I've been compiling my final list that I'm going to edit. I'm going to try and edit this one, she says. <laughs> and um, I've put Titan in. That's the latest one I've put in. And that's come... Actually, because I've been putting off watching Titan because actually I'm not very good with super gruesome stuff. Like generally violence is fine, but I don't like watching anything like with sexual violence. And if something's really like body horror, like Cronenberg level, I'm kind of not really into it. But then um, David Church, who's um, an academic who's written a book on horror and also discovered subscribes to my newsletter, which I didn't realise. He emailed (laughs) me and said, oh, my God, you need to put Titan in this. Mm -hmm. I thought I'm going to have to watch it. And then I watched it. I was like... It's perfect. Like, they actually discuss, are you in a knitting club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she attacks him. And then she attacks him with, like, (laughs) the needle in a... Perfect. Perfect. It's so So good. I loved it. So Titan's going in. Um, And then it was just a matter of, um, I put all my friends on alert for if they were ever watching horror films, they had to let me know if they found any examples of knitting. And I did the same with my newsletter readers, who I reckon have contributed about half of the initial oh, that's amazing that's so cool and I've acknowledged them all in the credits as well you know I like to be collaborative and then I've been just um scraping like the internet looking for stuff oh, which like, as a researcher is fine yeah you, you know, probably I love it do. 
yeah, this is like standard practice for me. So the easiest place to start is to go to your IMDb keyword search and then refine by genre and then just work your way through the list. But there right. are so many examples. So I bet many you've examples. seen so many. And I bet I bet it's really frustrating <laughs> if you watch one that you think is going to have knitting and then it doesn't end up yeah. having any. And you're like, oh, yeah. that was a waste. <laughs> so many, so many leads. And then I watched, um, there's a really good... Um, Brazilian werewolf film called Good Manners. <gasps> oh, I love Good Manners. Like a, exactly. Yeah. And I was convinced there was like a knitting or a craft scene in Good Manners. And then I rewatched it and I was like, no, she's taking diamonds off a boot. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can oh. use that, but I really want to use Good Manners. So I'm going to try and include Good Manners anyway, um, but just when I'm talking about craft more generally. That's so. really weird. <laughs> I think that's like a Mandela effect thing because I have this image of her pregnant doing like yeah. knitting like on her yeah. her pregnant belly is that yeah. not it oh that's weird no <laughs> it's weird isn't it yeah. i was convinced it was in good manners but it isn't unless i missed it on second viewing but i don't know no i don't well i mean i trust you with your knitting <laughs> with your knitting sharp eyes but oh, that's so weird i i must have imagined that too maybe it's just that we associate like a pregnant woman yeah doing something with knitting Maybe so. Um, so knitting leads us into your FFO, your three words, which was probably the hardest <laughs> so far. Um, I didn't make it easy, did you I? You did it. No, you did it. You gave me knitting, the ocean, and cats. And I'm sorry to say I could not find anything that matched all three. So I definitely need to do my homework. Um we did choose a film that is very ocean focused and it has some yeah. fabulous knitwear in it, but it doesn't mm -hmm. have any cats. Um, no. Sadly, which unfortunately, um, I would have loved to see a cat because I love cats, big cat fan like yourself. Um, but yeah. no, we decided to go for Robert Eggers' 2019 The Lighthouse. At Neptune's strike, dead winds low. Oh! Triton, hark! Hello, bid our father, the Sea King, rise from the depths full, foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with punch and slime. Hooray. And hooray. <laughs> I have to say I was absolutely thrilled when you chose this because I have just since I saw it two years ago now, yeah, I have just been dying to talk about it was because yeah. it's just it is just a fantastic film um so yeah let's get into the lighthouse the lighthouse Excellent. the lighthouse stars robert pattinson as ephraim winslow and willem dafoe as thomas wake as two lighthouse keepers in 1890s new england um before we get into the plot i just want to talk quickly about how the film looks because yes it is just a stunning film. Um, it's shot entirely in black and white, which I think is such a brave choice, um, mm. especially these days because, you know, colour has always been so important to horror. It has so much symbolism behind it. But especially these days, I feel, and I'm going to sound like a crotchety old woman here, but these days kids, <laughs> kids can't concentrate on anything. And like, <laughs> I know for me, it's sometimes like it's really bad, but, I, and I know that black and white films are amazing, but I'll sometimes choose a color one <laughs> over it because I, I have no attention span and I need to see pretty shapes and, you know, yeah. fine textures. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the lighthouse was such a brave choice, I think, for him to go with completely black and white, you know, because his debut, mm. The Witch, is 
also yeah. very muted. There's not much color in that either. But yeah, I think this really adds to the bleak, uh, depressing feel of this film. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's very on point, isn't it? It is, yeah. It is. And it really, you know, it's it's realistic too because they didn't have color film. But I mean, they didn't in Whenever the Witch is set in like the 1500s anyway. But um, yeah. it's also <laughs> shot in a 119 to 1 aspect ratio. And I, disclaimer, I know nothing about aspect ratios. So I'm not even going to pretend <laughs> that I know what that is. But it's... um. It gives the film this amazing claustrophobic feel. And yeah. yeah, again, especially I think that's such a brave choice, especially from a director. This is was his second film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also hasten to add, I don't know much about aspect ratio, but I can tell you a few things about um, The Lighthouse. So the the um, 119 to 1, so that means like if it was um, one metre high, mm. it would be one point one nine meters wide and it gives this really square effect and um when I was um watching it it really took me back to my PhD research so I started my PhD research in the first year on 1920s and 1930s cinema mm-hmm. um, horror cinema and I ended up specializing in the 30s so I'm I'm very fine with black and white films <laughs> You're not a Luddite like me. I love love me a black and white film. Um, (laughs) But it really made me um, think of this film from 1927 called Sunrise. Um, Now, Sunrise isn't a horror film, but um, it's directed by F.W. Murnau, who's considered like one of the great kind of silent horror directors. And that was made in 120 to 1, and it's the same like movie tone ratio. Mm-hmm. So the, mm. the feel, yeah, the feel of it is like very 20s, very early 1930s. And I really like that. But I have to confess, this is my second viewing of The Lighthouse. And the first time I watched it, I was really cross with the aspect ratio because I hadn't read anything beforehand and I didn't realise it was film like that. And my telly is only a few years old, but it's really duff. And I thought the telly was wrong and I was getting really annoyed. And I spent like five or 10 minutes at the beginning of the film trying to adjust the settings because like my telly goes wrong all the time. Yeah, well, why isn't it working? Um, so it really annoyed me to start with till I realised that he was actually trying it's to film intentional, it like yeah. And it's essentially like emulating Sunrise, which is considered like the greatest silent film of all time. Oh, so then it made more oh. sense. But then watching it the second time, knowing all this stuff, it, it was just a lot easier to watch. Oh, it's so interesting what you say about silent film too, because I feel like, I mean, this film is very dialogue heavy. There's a lot of very important dialogue in it, but it mm. could be reshot as a silent film I suppose if you yeah. you know if you put in dialogue cards for the most important parts like the yeah. um the sea curse <laughs> you're fond of me lobster just flashing up like on the screen on a dialogue <laughs> card would be really funny um yeah it just has this old feel to it and yeah another thing I love about Robert Eggers is he puts such attention to detail in yeah. everything from from the aspect ratios we mentioned even down to the costumes like they went fully even though the costumes are in black and white um yeah. well the, the costumes are in color in, in real life and even the colors that they chose the wool that they chose to knit with it's yeah. just oh, it's just so meticulously paid attention to that i just love it you, you can just tell that it's a labor of love 
Well, this is it. And um, this is where we can like highlight the work of another like woman working in horror, which is the costume designer, Linda oh, yeah. Moore. Mm-hmm. He's like Canadian costume designer, incredibly well known. She won awards for costume design on both The Witch and on The Lighthouse. And she really knows her stuff about the costume design. And there's quite a lot of interviews with her online where she talks about the process of researching and creating the costumes for the lighthouse. And I'm fascinated when she's talking about um, what I call the ganses, which is the name for like a thick knitted fisherman's sweater, mm-hmm. which is totally what the went. So she doesn't particularly use the word ganze most of the time, but like particularly where I'm from in Yorkshire and all the... Um, the fishing, co- the fishing communities on the coast going up like Flamborough and Filey and then going up to the northeast towards Stays, they all have um, ganses, which, you know, these hand-knit, thick, like waterproof, windproof sweaters. And I really loved how she really emulated that in the lighthouse. And like you were saying, that level of attention to detail is just beautiful. So mm-hmm. when I was thinking about Knit One Stab Two, I do an initial section about like jumpers and mm. hand knit items. So obviously the lighthouse is going to feature there as well. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. I can't wait to see it. Because it was you also put a clip of it in three ways as well. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. This, this <laughs> a rather it, revolting clip. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is where, like, if I make more than a couple of these, like, the films that I enjoy watching the most are going to become really apparent. I love that, I just yeah. keep using clips from, like, The Lighthouse and A Tale of Two <laughs> Sisters. It's going to be really clear what my favourite films are. No, I love that. I mean, they're two amazing films anyway. Um, it's interesting as well what you said about fishing, because obviously yeah. I... Um, yourself have experienced growing up around fishing villages etc and I am from Cornwall so same so I'm wondering if we we both were like somewhat subconsciously drawn to the lighthouse because we're used to being in this like very salty briny sea world maybe (laughs) (laughs) I love it and I love stuff by the sea so like I always used to go on holiday to the Yorkshire coast so Leeds is kind of further inland where I grew up but we always went on holiday to the coast and there's something about the coast and the sea air and I particularly love standing in front of the sea and just realizing that I am essentially like pointless yes. in terms of nature. <laughs> like and like nature is completely mm-hmm. indifferent to me and any of my preoccupations or the things that I'm worrying about. So I love um horror films that are set by the sea. So things like The mm-hmm. Lighthouse, I absolutely love. Because there's something about the like enormous power of nature yeah. and your essential pointlessness, which is like deeply appealing. Yes. Oh my gosh, same. It's such a bleak, like oh. And this film, you know, this film, they're they're trapped on this tiny, pointless island in the middle of this grand, stormy ocean. Um, And just the sound. I mean, this film opens with the first human sound on screen, first of all, is a fart, (laughs) which is just amazing. Um, But like even before that, just the sounds, we get this blaring foghorn from the lighthouse and we get like the crashing of the waves and something that really gets to me throughout this film is the sound of the gulls um and the gulls are very important we'll get to the gulls later but as someone who grew up around gulls they are so infuriating and (laughs) (laughs) like the noise bless them they don't mean to be obviously but the noises they make are very um 
I'm thinking one particular scene, the ending scene, where the sound of gulls mm. is very scary. And um, yeah. as someone who grew up around the ocean, hearing the gulls is kind of like, oh God, here we go. They're back. Yeah. Yeah. These um, dreadful, scary creatures. I mean, anything with kind of the gulls in, obviously, it's just like a direct link back to the birds for me. Like, mm. the birds has taught me that, like, birds are scary and horrible. Birds are and scary. You need to stay away from. Yeah. <laughs> you never hear a bird heralding like a good I mean I guess the only thing I can think of I've been watching Lord of the Rings obsessively lately and the eagles in Lord of the Rings like they're they're good <laughs> birds but usually if you hear like a, a crow cawing or a gull yeah. it's like oh god that's a bad omen it's for ominous sure. it yeah really there's is. a bad omen coming <laughs> it really is and that's pretty much where the lighthouse opens we we open yeah. with Winslow and Wake who are kind of dropped off on this middle of nowhere island um mm. to start their month watching over the lighthouse uh we've got like i said Ephraim winslow who is the wiki and thomas wake who is the lighthouse keeper so the pair get off to a bad start already because the first like we said the first thing that happens on screen basically is that um wake farts in the bedroom yeah um so disrespectful so <laughs> disgusting as well like, i mean i get it. everyone's human everyone has these things that yeah. they have to do but he just at this point we don't even know if they've said hello to each other i mean obviously no. they've had a boat ride together to the island but it's very plausible that that was just a silent boat ride <laughs> with very no taciturn pattinson's yeah. character is very taciturn it's it's very likely they didn't speak they <laughs> most likely didn't speak and there's these other two men that dropped off we never see them again and they're probably it was just a silent rainy boat ride they get into this horrible old rickety house and Winslow finds a carved mermaid token stuffed into his mattress and um, mm. that, that mermaid token will become very important later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they kind of uh, get off to this rocky master-servant relationship already. Wake yeah. makes Winslow do all the difficult, dirty jobs, um, you know, like shoveling and carrying like huge uh, barrels of oil, just a lot of hard labor while he he gets naked and sits in front of a light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be very happy if he was my boss either. No, so. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, both of them give such a masterful performance in this film that they've all, they've, known each other for what a day at this point and they're already yeah. like oh my god I hate I hate them both <laughs> yeah yeah I mean we've all had bad work colleagues but I feel like this takes it to the next level I know imagine living with the worst boss you've ever had for a month like, <sighs> on an isolated island where you can't leave hell yeah um, horrendous <laughs> so at this point, there's not too much dialogue. I mean, we don't have no. any dialogue really until about 10 minutes in. Um, before this, Winslow has a lot of hallucinatory dreams of logs, floating bodies, um, this amazing shot of the mermaid um, coming through the water. Yeah. Um, another thing that terrifies me about this film is I have, I think it's called thalassophobia, which is Ooh. the fear of deep water i mean for someone who grew oh. up next to the ocean i can't swim in it yeah no i can only go up to you know where my feet just stop touching the floor of the ocean and that scene of the mermaid like coming out of the deep water is oh, horrible mm. to me <laughs> <laughs> it, it really really upsets me we get the sense that winslow is already not 
the sanest man on earth. No, no. <laughs> no. And one of the first interactions we get between the two is when Winslow is, well, it's not even an interaction because Wake doesn't know it's happening, but Winslow is cleaning the cistern, disgusting. Yeah. And he spies on Wake, who is asleep, and he can see his his naked butt through his... Um, <laughs> through his little um i don't even know what you call that like a little like a sleeping suit yeah like the the flap the flap to his sleeping suit and that also sets up a very interesting thread that runs through this film is a homoerotic subtext i don't even know if you can call it a subtext because it's no it's quite text (laughs) isn't it it's quite out there i it wasn't until like rewatch like i found this such a different experience rewatching it um so the first time i was watching i didn't know anything about it i'd already spent 10 minutes trying to change the settings on my tv (laughs) and then i didn't i I didn't, I was spent the whole film, most of the film, the first time I watched it, trying to read it. Mm. Like, you know, this is like essentially my job. So it's very hard to switch my brain off. But I was trying to place what it was trying to do, what kind of subgenre is it in, what is it emulating. And that's quite tiring because the lighthouse just does its own thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'd seen The Witch before, which wasn't what I thought it was going to be either. Um, But I'd spent quite a lot of time trying to understand the lighthouse the first time so when I rewatched it I was much more chilled and I enjoyed it much more because I knew what it was Mm. it was its own weird thing and I just kind of sat back and enjoyed it but what became apparent was um this like really like sexual undertone all the way through Mm -hmm. and like I mean, there is the homoerotic element and I was saying, I watched it, I rewatched it with my husband again and I was saying, oh, we're coming up to that bit where they get off. And he's like, I don't think they get off. And I was like, they nearly get off. They, they pretty, pretty much, much nearly do, get yeah. off. Yeah. They pretty much get off. Um, but the whole film is just like this underbubbling of sexuality the yeah, whole right. time. Mm-hmm. There's just so many, so much thrusting and like so much. fluids and yeah. asses and tits just... <laughs> everywhere it's like <laughs> the whole way through it's like the subplot of the film is just like sexual desire that yeah. is frustrated yes yes i mean they live in a giant phallic symbol they live in a lighthouse yeah. like this giant thrusting thing coming out of the ocean yeah. yeah and yeah it's very much you know that's one of the first times that we see a naked butt on screen and it's yeah. it's about 10 minutes in <laughs> <laughs> which just sets the tone for what's to come it does and like that poor little like mermaid dolly as well oh you know yeah. that poor, <laughs> like, <laughs> she goes through like, it she goes through it like she's like the equivalent of his porno mag you yeah. know it's like oh, oh poor, little, poor little ivory dolly oh exactly. yeah bless her bless her but wake is just um the worst boss he you know there's parts where winslow carries these huge barrels of oil up the stairs and as he gets to the top of the stairs wake is like use this can next time (laughs) could you not have told him that when he was at the bottom it's just like yeah he exists to piss him off yeah, like Wake's thoroughly enjoying himself. Yeah. yeah he like he's having a great time being an absolute shit, <laughs> yeah. isn't he? I have to say I love Thomas Wake so much. Like <laughs> he is just an evil bastard, but I absolutely love him. Yeah. Um throughout it, all of this, w- uh, Winslow is taunted by a one-eyed gull who mm. even from the offset, I mean this gull doesn't really do anything except stand in his way, but 
Winslow is just furious about it. And it's like, you're on a yeah. you're on an island in the ocean. What do you expect? Of course there's gonna be seagulls there. But you know, we it's obvious that there's something about this one-eyed gull that is yeah. really, really getting to him. I like how uncanny it feels as well. Like it feels super weird. Um and I also like that the seagull is such a presence in the film like it has its own like little arc but you feel like even when it's just blocking his way you feel like it's malevolent intent yeah mm-hmm. and um it, re- it really made me think of um lamb which i watched for the first time the other week another a24 film and um the cat in oh, lamb yeah. <laughs> kind of had the same thing in that like the cat's not particularly malevolent in lamb um but there's just something about whenever the cat's on screen it has like this huge screen presence and i feel like the scene Eagles exactly the same. Yes, I mean, A24 kind of have this this theme of weird, creepy animals. You know, you've got Black Phillip yeah. in The Witch as well, um, yeah. who, is, who is malevolent. But yeah, like you said, there's just yeah. th- these animals that give off this amazing presence. It's one of the many, many reasons I love A24 films, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way as well. Um, but yeah, this one-eyed girl who... W- uh, wake- I'm going to keep getting their names mixed up because... They're both W ones as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Wake tells Winslow not to bother the seagull and that it is bad yeah. luck to kill one. Um, this is a, a, another horrible dinner time conversation where yeah. in the same breath, Wake tells Winslow that his last wiki went mad and started talking about sirens and mermaids. And, <laughs> you know, we, we were already like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. I mean, one yeah. or both of them is going to end up bonkers, yeah. which... I would too, if I was in that situation. If not already completely insane. If not already. Well, that's another thing that is so interesting is I don't think Winslow has ever been a sane person or wait. I think even like even before any of this happened, I mean, obviously Winslow has a history of of murder as we find out later or not yeah I mean he's a bit of a murderer he's a bit of a killer yeah he's he's not a great guy and Wake is just a complete madman who 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 knows if Wake is even a real person either I mean we sincerely don't know um but yeah the the pair of them get off already on this like violent start Wake slaps him when Winslow mocks the superstition I mean Wake is very much a man of the ocean he's got all these superstitions about um, winds and gulls and yeah, and that old kind of old man way when you're like, oh god, all right, the winds changed, get over it. Um, then we get our first lovely scene of Winslow masturbating over the. Oh, so <laughs> nice, <laughs> poor little Dolly. Um, poor Dolly. What I <laughs> what I love about this film is how everything is horrible. <laughs> Yeah, it's really gross. It's like, oh, oh, like, it just, I like filthy men. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> oh, you filthy men. Yeah, you, I, this is very much a, a film about one, the depravity of men. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when men get left alone. Exactly. In the middle of nowhere, exactly, being filthy. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Everything in this scene is like dripping wet and we feel oh, like we're really, rank. it's rank. We feel like we're spying on... Um, Winslow doing this he doesn't even seem like he really wants to do it um, no it's quite a sad wank to be fair it's a, sad, it's <laughs> it's a cry like wank mechanical. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crank it's not it's not you know it's it seems like it's it's come from frustration excuse the pun it's come from frustration <laughs> and anger yeah. more than you know sexual desire yeah yeah totally 
while cleaning the side of the lighthouse, Winslow falls um, and something I... Now, I may be just being gross and looking for things that don't exist, but... So yeah. he, they're painting the side of the lighthouse. He falls down. He passes out. When he comes to, he has like white paint like around his mouth. Um, oh, does he? This I've not noticed. Yeah. So no, I'm I think this is just theory on this. Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> this is just, just me <laughs> being a massive pervert. But you know, right. like we've already said, this theme of homoeroticism, bodily fluids. Uh, so many fluids. So many fluids run through it that when he comes to, he wakes up, he's got white paint around his mouth and the girl is there and the girl is just watching him and, yeah, you know, the girl is very much this har, harbinger, harbinger, I don't know how you say that word, harbinger? Well, we'll just roll with whatever. I'm not actually sure either. <laughs> harbinger, harbinger of, of I can write it, just don't make me say I it. I know, that's what, well, that's one of those things. I'm just going to, if anyone has a problem with it, then you're, you're mean, so. <laughs> just say it confidently and move on. That's my career. Exactly, the harbinger. <laughs> the harbinger of doom and he always kind of shows up as well when Winslow is at his lowest points, you know, like cleaning yeah. the toilet, having fallen down. And then we get a really interesting part where... Winslow follows Wake to the lighthouse. Wake is sat in front of it, masturbating. Like, oh, yeah. Again, these men, can you s- can. Just, just give it a rest for five minutes? More fluid. <laughs> more, more fluid. More like disgusting ectoplasm y, spermy dripping down. And then yeah. he sees a giant tentacle. I want to know what you thought at this part of the movie. Before we know anything else, did you think this tentacle was like a real thing? Did you think we were going to go into some kind of sea monster territory? Or did Mm. you see it as a hallucination or a metaphor? Because I'm still unsure. Yeah, and do you know what? I suspect that is what the filmmakers want us to be like anyway. I don't think there's any clear answers to any of it. So watched it twice and I still don't really know and even just talking about with my husband afterwards who feels like this film is like his soul um, which worries me deeply (laughs) worries me though as I'm married to this man Um, but like we both read stuff completely differently and even though I was watching it the second time there was stuff that he noticed that I'd not noticed and vice versa and I I like um like monsters I like the supernatural I like there to be weird shit like the worst kind of film for me is the worst kind of horror film is is she being haunted isn't she who knows is it in her head or is or is it real is she mentally ill or these things real? like I'm not really into that like I like it's a monster there's a monster (laughs) like let's 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 roll yeah um but with this I kind of, I don't mind that it's ambiguous because I feel like there's like three or four different films happening here and it's giving you your option to interpret it as you see fit. Like if you want this to be like a mermaid horror film about this like beautiful but also like slightly skanky mermaid that lives on the rock and like has a giant like vagina stomach and is there to like fucking scream, you could read it like that. Uh, But you don't have to. If you want to read it as like a man's descent into madness, you can read it like that. If you want to read it as some kind of tentacle monster with jizz everywhere, you can read it like that. So I really like this you can do like loads of different things with it but I think we're supposed to not really know and that's why I think we're so tight 
on um, Robert Pattinson, which is Winslow, because I can never remember the names never either. Remember, I've yeah. had to write it down. <laughs> um, but I think that's why we go so tight on Robert Pattinson's point of view all the way through it, because he's obviously, uh, he's a bad murderer. Um, he's a drifter. He's a loner. He's never found his place in the world. He has this really antagonistic relationship with this sadistic man in the middle of nowhere. So we're getting a very unreliable narrator for this film. So that means we... We can do anything. The film can be whatever you want it to be because our point of view of the world is so skewed. I love that. It's like a choose your own tentacle monster. Yeah, choose your own adventure. Do you want the tentacle monster or do you want a gay love story about two men who find love in the strangest places? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I have to say Robert Pattinson's performance in this film, I mean, both of them are absolutely magnificent, but big shout out to Robert Pattinson for holding his own against a powerhouse like Willem Dafoe. Oh my god, yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I, I kind of, you know, obviously if I was an actor and I found out I was against Willem Dafoe in a psychological drama, it's just the two of us, I would be shitting bricks. Yeah. I'd be like, I can't, I can't. Yeah, exactly. And this is like your kind of classic theatre scenario. It's one location, one point in time, two-hander. Like the acting chops have to come out of here because there's absolutely no place to escape. There's no cut into the subplot off the island. There's no cut into any other characters. It's them two in a room. So you better Mm -hmm. be good. (laughs) I think, I mean, I'm just, right now you're saying that this would be a great stage performance. If it... I mean, it, yeah. could, it could actually be done pretty well as a play. Um, I mean, like a waiting yeah. for Godot style, just two two guys hanging out, having yeah, fun together. Totally. It would be great. Um, and yeah, anyone. I mean, we're filming the uh, filming. We're recording this at the time where the Batman, the new Batman film, has just been released. I know yeah. a lot of people are uh, skeptical about what Robert Pattinson can do as an actor because he was in Twilight. Twilight was a hundred years ago. Yeah, and like, have they not watched Uncut Gems? Like, he's amazing. Oh, he's amazing a good, in in it. good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Yeah, good. Yeah, sorry. exactly. Like, he's really good. Yeah, he's um, a fantastic. I, it's actor. not like I. It's like I have no particular feelings about him, like as an actor overall. But in the stuff I've seen him in, he's been pretty awesome. Yeah, I think you know, he's really like good, I yeah. did rewatch him as Cedric Diggory not so long ago when I watched <laughs> the Harry Potter films with my kids. But you know, in the more contemporary work, he's just brilliant. Like, and he really does hold his own in this. He does, and it's just a test, a tantamount to how. Also, because like you said, we're watching the film basically through him. I don't know if I'm sane when I watch this film because he's, he's <laughs> yeah. not. So I'm like, is he's this not. really happening? I don't know. And it's hard to do that kind of ambiguity as well. Like I read an interview with Robert Eggers where he was talking about the way that he was directing Pattinson and Pattinson would be like, so is he coming to this from this place? Or is he coming to it from this place? And Eggers was like, any of them are good. You can do any or all of them. Just make sure that it's not clear for the viewer. Yes, oh, I thought, love well, that. That's great. Yeah, so the the ability to kind of layer a nuance, I think, is really well done. So Robert Eggers, I, I think, originally maybe wanted him for another film. Or maybe it was the Safdie brothers. I can't remember. I'm getting mi- mixed yeah. up. But he said, someone sent him a script and he was like, this isn't weird enough for me. Um, and then, <laughs> Good man. Yes. And then he rejected it, whatever it was, whether it was Eggers or Safdie's, I'm not sure. But then when Robert Eggers sent him The Lighthouse, he was like, yes, I want this. This is the one. And he was like, yeah, this is weird enough for 
I just love how he's, you know, he's got his money from Twilight. He's got his Batman yeah. money. And he's kind of like Daniel Radcliffe, I guess, in a way where he'll just do whatever he wants now. Which is ideal, isn't it? I really like that. It's like when you um you hear about, I think it's Guillermo del Toro who says like he'll make one film for the studios and one film for him. Yes, like that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, take your money and make weird tentacle monster gay porn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the lighthouse world, uh, Winslow finds a dying girl in the cistern and when he's looking at its lifeless body, the one-eyed girl comes back and Winslow violently beats it to death. And, yeah, God, what a horrible that... scene. What a horrible fate for this poor little girl. Yeah, I mean, I don't really like the girl, so that that moved me less. Like, he could, you know, I'd given you cats originally. Like, if he'd done that to a cat, I wouldn't have been able to watch the scene. But because it's a girl, and I'm not really into girls, that was fine. But you just, like, you're like, uh-oh, right? So you've just sealed your own fate now because you've been... There isn't much over dialogue in this film, really. There isn't, like, much where it's, like you mustn't do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the one thing is when he goes, you mustn't upset the girl. And then he beats the girl to death. And like, well, now you're going to die. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now you've done it. <laughs> These are the rules. You're you now going to die. And obviously the ending of the film um, deals with that. Mm. (laughs) well exactly this is the thing he was given and this goes back to the whole mythology of this whole being based on like the myth of prometheus and being told this is what you don't do and if you do it you'll be punished yeah and he does it kind of classical mythology isn't it like if you go do the thing you're being explicitly told not to do then well on your own head exactly and that's how we in your own eyes (laughs) or or not as it were Um, no eyes yeah (laughs) exactly um it's the well, they think it's the last night, so they think they're getting picked up. So the pair, uh, Winslow finally joins Wake in this drink that he's been begging him to have the whole time. And I, I really like this part because both of them get drunk and they start singing <laughs> and, you know, telling jokes and stories. And it seems like they're actually getting along um, quite nicely. Yeah. And the next morning, a hungover Winslow, and this is the amazing clip that you put in Three Ways to Dine Well. Um, a hungover Winslow <laughs> has to empty the most disgusting chamber pots um throws them over the side of the cliff and the wind blows them straight back in his face and the scream is just so funny oh it's like so much of this film is really funny in a really bleak way there's a real undercurrent of what i feel like is quite a british kind of Mm -hmm. um black humor you know like how the british like to go to really dark Mm -hmm. places with their comedy and there's a lot of that in this film as well there are a f- countless moments this film where i actually laughed out loud like this part um yeah. you're fond of me lobster the part where they both get drunk later and are just like banging their chests and screaming like yes it, yeah it's a very fun it's a very tongue-in-cheek very funny film which yes. is you know strange to say as it is so bleak um yeah but you know the beauty of alcohol is that it makes them <laughs> It makes them dance. It makes them dance. At some point, I want to make a little essay film about um, dancing in horror films. Please do. And I've got so many. I've been logging examples for like two years. And obviously, the dancing scenes in The Lighthouse will be in there. So many great scenes. So it's like kind of like that old story of like the person who danced themselves to death or whatever. Like, yeah, it makes the me red think. Shoes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, it makes me think of that. 
Um, Winslow comes across the mermaid washed up on the rocks. Uh, so the mermaid is the only woman, well, she's pretty much the only other person that we see in the film, but she's the only woman. Um, she's covered in seaweed, uh, looks dead. He f- starts feeling her up and, you know, very obviously sexually frustrated, <laughs> um, runs his hands down her body, but then becomes horrified at, like, her gills and her tail. Yeah. And um, she does this amazing, like, scream, like, this sonar sea creature scream laugh, and he just runs off and, like, <laughs> starts crying. Um, I, love, I love the mermaid. Um, she is you know, in it for a total of maybe 10 seconds across the board, but she is such a presence in this film. Yeah. Um, she represents so much, you know, this repulsion of female sexuality, this fear of female sexuality, but also this yeah. desire for this yeah. mermaid beast creature. Um, yeah, it's like disgusted desire. When The first time I watched it, when um, the mermaid came on, I was like, are they doing like a visual pleasure type thing here? Like, here's like the sexy beauty, because she's so beautiful. Like, the, the actor playing the mermaid is is so beautiful. Like, it's unbelievable. I was like, oh, is this going to be like some kind of visual pleasure, sexy woman where we see him imagining or like actually being with this sexy... And then I was like, oh no, like, they know exactly what they're doing. So the more we track down her body... And we go past the tits and then we're at the gills. And yeah. you're like, oh, okay. She's, <laughs> it's she's fine. repulsive. They know, they know they, yeah, they've not, they've not, they've not, they've not dropped a bollock here. This is fine. No, she's, <laughs> she's no aerial. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't see it in this part, but later, like you said, her amazing, I, it feels wrong to say amazing stomach vagina, but. <laughs> it is so, is it? But I didn't notice that till the second viewing either. I think there's so much, the picture's so, like the, the visuals are so like densely yeah. layered in this film. Like I didn't even notice that the first time I watched it. I didn't even see it. But there's so much to look at on screen, like the costume design, the um, the production design. It's like a very rich text, mm-hmm. isn't it? It is, it really is. And that... They made this whole mermaid tale. There's an amazing picture of Willem Dafoe backstage. I will link it in the show notes. Willem Dafoe is basically yeah. in his makeup, his like uh, sea creature makeup, like all barnacled around his head. And he has got his hand on the table next to him is laid out the mermaid vagina. And he's just like got his thumbs up. <laughs> 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 it's revolting. I do need to see that. I'll, well. <laughs> I'll send it to you after, and then I'll put it in the show notes because it's so funny. Um, yeah, so she is very much this representation of how Winslow is so sexually frustrated, but he's also repulsed at his own sexuality. Um, does he want to be with this woman, or does he want to be with Winslow? Um, so the boat that is meant to pick them up never arrives while the storm rages on. All of the rations and provisions get flooded um at this point winslow thinks it's only been a day since they missed the boat but wake tells him it's been weeks um and i have to say something that really terrifies me in in films is like the idea of myself having a lack of control over what is happening time-wise if that makes sense like i totally get you like this is a terrifying like prospect and i think it's really primal it's something like losing time essentially is like losing your sense of self in the world 
and that is there's um there's a play um called X by the playwright Alistair McDowell, which is like a non-linear, it's amazing. I absolutely love X. And it's the whole play is a series of like disintegration of time. And it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying to read. I've never seen it performed, but I've read X. I used to teach theatre. So I've taught um, X quite a few times, but it's about like the disintegration and the looping and manipulation of time. And it like in the pit of your stomach, it's an absolutely terrifying concept. So I totally understand where you are. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like blacking out um, if, if you after a particularly heavy night. Um, if yeah. you've ever blacked out, which I don't recommend, obviously. But, um, and then coming to and being like, how long was I not aware of my surroundings? I, you know, it's such a yeah. vulnerable place to be in, um, especially if your sanity is slipping, like Winslow. To be told, yeah. like, how long do you think we've been here? Like. Oh, it really gets to me. Yeah, and of course, Wade could be just fucking with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you don't know, but it doesn't matter because the film is um, Winslow's point of view. So it's about what he's thinking and feeling. We never know if Wake is a giant troll the whole time. I mean, he's he's based on yeah. like this protean trickster, uh, old man of the sea thing. So he could be fucking with him, or he could be entirely truthful. They're both. Yeah, very valid points. Um, the pair get drunk again because what else is there to do? And well, why not? <laughs> why not? Then we get the infamous lobster moment um, where Winslow says, "He, if I had a steak, I would fuck it." Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah, well that makes sense. Given yes, where we are. <laughs> uh, Wake takes this as a personal slight against his cooking, which is just the most amazing, like <laughs> old married couple. You know, they've yeah. gone beyond boss and uh, I was going to say slave then, but he is kind of like his slave. Um, kind of yeah, they've gone beyond this master-slave, boss-employee dynamic, and now they're just a married couple. But then Wake snaps and he delivers the sea curse speech, which, I mean, as you being someone who has studied theatre and loves theatre, you must see this. It's like, this is a, such an amazing monologue. It makes me want to cry. Yeah, it's the monologue. I was literally, when I was re-watching this earlier this week, I was like, monologue, <laughs> love a good monologue. It has to be justified, obviously, but here they've totally built the scene so we can do a long monologue. So I was fully into that. I think you can tell that Robert Eggers has come from theatre, like particularly with this. And I just, I love it. Like, I don't see that theatre and cinema have to be like mutually exclusive at all. I think there's loads of interesting things you can take from both forms. And so I, I love the monologue in here. It's very Good. Yeah, Wake calls upon Triton. He calls calls for Winslow to be lost and forgotten to the sea, to any man, to any time. Um, and he doesn't blink for four minutes. I think oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's scary. Isn't that horrible? That, like, yeah. Because <laughs> and um, I'm not sure how many takes. I wouldn't be surprised if this was a one take thing because Willem Dafoe is just a master. But yeah, he doesn't blink for four minutes. Um just staring wide-eyed um it's so scary and this not even his performance the the context of what he's saying is terrifying just you know what an evil way to curse someone to just have them be yeah. forgotten that is just really terrifying yeah. to me not a violent i mean he does suffer a violent death but you know not wishing him to explode or be tortured or whatever just yeah forgotten and again i always think about that if um i have if someone's ever 
like really done me wrong or anything and people are like oh what are you going to say to him what are you going to do and it's like the worst thing you can do is someone with a massive ego is just pretend they don't exist exactly. you yes. know and mm-hmm. it's really awful fade um, into irrelevance yeah you, it's nothing just nothing and again like the absence of self or acknowledgement of self is quite a scary thing it really is one of the reasons why the last scene got to me so much is because it was like this is just a body on a beach and no one knows it's here. Yeah. No one knows no, no one knows Winslow exists. He is forgotten to time and just the, the bleakness of just, you know, just being eaten by animals and just left. And no one <laughs> Yes. Oh, no one knowing you existed or ever existed is just And just like the the kind of the pointlessness and the like all of the striving and the thinking and the wanting and the desire just amounting to nothing. Um, so the pair get into, you know, more, they descend further into insanity. Winslow finally loses it and confesses that he took the name of a foreman who he pretty much left to die. Yeah. Um, so he is not Ephraim Winslow. His real name is Thomas Howard, which is interesting because, you know, same name as Thomas Wake. Yeah. Um, this is where I'm like, oh, they're the same person. Um, they're two sides of the same <laughs> coin. You know, Wake is entirely a figment of his guilt his warped imagination um i love the moment where they almost kiss and they immediately snap out of it and they put their fists up like that is it's just so funny so funny yeah it's and it's so like it's the macho posturing kind of thing it's like oh 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 (laughs) we better we better start being men again we better start like conforming to what men are supposed to do so you know that fine line between like fucking and fighting is totally what's going on here (laughs) it's this male expectation to resort to violence instead of vulnerability yeah. like we, yeah. we can't kiss we've got to fight each other and kill each other instead yeah we're <laughs> going to touch each other in a way that's more heterosexual exactly the storm breaks yeah. through the house um they chase each other with axes um and then wake <laughs> asks him how long have we been on this rock where are we who are you yeah. is any of this real and then this is the point where i'm like i don't know anyway. i don't know <laughs> Have you ever seen Persona? Because I feel like that would be a really interesting film to watch. If you haven't seen it, so Persona's... Per- I mean, I use it. I think Persona's amazing. I'm not, as a rule, into kind of art house or art cinema, um, but Persona, which is like the two people in one place, um, on the edge by the sea, two women who are essentially like dissolving into one yes. another, personality-wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like a perfect companion piece to this film. Absolutely, I think a lot of like Bergman pieces could, you know, this a lot of pieces yeah. are very existentially dreadful, and um, yeah, yeah, oh, that would be a great, completely. a very depressing double feature. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like I don't actually think I could sit through Persona and the Lighthouse after each other. Like you need like a palate cleanser after each of them to be fair. Yeah, you need like a slasher or something um so the the pair finally explode into violence you know wake has had enough of uh winslow's had enough of wake's goddamn farts and his abuse and his lies and they start fighting they start having a very real physical fight while they're fighting winslow fantasizes about having sex with the mermaid but then it transforms into that he's having sex with wake who is now this giant barnacled tentacle monster (laughs) you know you could go uh, freud and jung would have an absolute field day with this film because 
what's not to to read here. And I, I love how you're like bravely continuing, like as if there's like a linear narrative in this film when the whole thing just has descended into a complete like hallucinatory madness I know, by this point. The so last I fully 20... appreciate you attempting to bravely recap the end of this film. The last 20 minutes of this film are just a nightmare of what is happening, who is fucking who, who is real, who is a yeah. sea monster. Um, yeah, exactly. Winslow beats Wake, commands him to bark, ties him up like a dog and leads him outside. Um, again, this is, I, yeah. I, I'm reading this as very sexual. I'm not sure if uh, that's the intention, yeah. but I am. Um, <laughs> um, and then we finally get the ending where after killing when killing wake winslow finally drags himself up the stairs to the lighthouse and sees the light and i've got to say the last five minutes in this film are terrifying like yeah winslow i love it yeah me too winslow's staring at this light and his expression turns from like orgasmic pleasure through to pain and finally into like this manic uh, grinning like you know this eldritch Lovecraftian horror that he's experiencing. Just what I was thinking exactly I was like I'm thinking I wanted to say this is like staring into the mouth of madness which I think is some kind of Lovecraft reference but I'm not actually sure off the top of my head but it, it, it's um that sense for me it's a very satisfying culmination of the film so like we know there's some some at least one of the two is going to die like you can tell that from quite early on but for me the culmination is when he gets to the light in the lighthouse and moves through all those stages of emotion I just I love it I feel like the film like nails it like so many horror films falter in the last 20 minutes because so much of horror is about like anticipation Mm -hmm. and the build and the growing dread that when you actually pay it off it's kind of like meh but this isn't this this fully fully takes it to a very satisfying level of insanity. Absolutely. And it doesn't overstep the mark in trying to show us what he's seeing. Like I feel like Lovecraftian exactly. horror, it, Lovecraftian horror is so hard to do because you you know it's all about unfathomable horrors. And when they yeah, try and exactly. show it, like I really didn't like the color out of space with Nick Cage because they tried to like mm. show the eldritch horror, and I'm like, well, you can't, you can't because it's beyond our imagination. So it's I, beyond comprehension. Exactly. So. so I really appreciate that we don't see what it is in the light. If it's just the light, what is being yeah. put in his brain, and he does this like amazing distorted screaming. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, Very good. Yes, and then, <laughs> but you know, he is. Prometheus in this uh, metaphor he can't last with this knowledge that he's been given so he falls backwards down the stairs and then we get our final scene oh god so I remember I first saw this scene um I woke up to use the bathroom once and very naughty. I always use my phone um, when I come back from, you know, my 3 a.m. toilet run and I shouldn't because then I can never go back to sleep. But someone posted this scene on Instagram and I was like groggy and like half asleep and I was like, Uh, what the fuck (laughs) so you know this that is not what you need to see at 3am it's like the bleakest image in the whole film just this naked man dead on the beach having his innards pecked out by girls you know there's no sounds just like him choking on his blood the the crash of the waves it's making me feel quite sick just hearing you recap it (laughs) (laughs) it's i genuinely could not shake this feeling of existential 
dread for days. I was like, what is the point of living when we're just going to end up <laughs> dead on the beach with my innards pecked out by gulls? Um, so shout out to Robert Eggers for making me feel that. Um, it is just mm. a magnificently horrible way to end a film that has been so bleak. Yeah, and it works, Shiloh. And it's funny that you say about like the existential dread because I'm thinking after re-watching The Lighthouse and finding it much more satisfying, I'm wondering if I should go back to The Witch because I went to see The Witch when it came out in the cinema mm. and I I like a kind of a good narrative as a rule, a bit of a roller coaster ride, mm. you know, goodies and baddies, you know, I like to be entertained and I thought The Witch was going to be like a proper like witch horror yeah. and actually I feel like the whole of that film is just existential dread it very much and is. the patriarchy Yes, and mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy it like I I recognise that it was an excellent piece of filmmaking, but it wasn't necessarily what I'd wanted. And I did I didn't I came out feeling very sad mm. <laughs> after watching The oh, Witch. Okay, um, I just came out yeah. it, it didn't feel like triumphant. I just came out feeling very sad. But given that I enjoyed the lighthouse much more on the second viewing, I'm wondering if I should go back go back and try the witch again. Possibly. Because yeah. that existential dread thing. But I found it very satisfying in the witch, in the in the lighthouse in a way that I didn't in the witch. So maybe I need to go back to the witch. I am maybe in the minority. I mean, obviously I think you are too, but I prefer the lighthouse to the witch. Um yeah. A lot of people obviously the witch is a very good film, um, and it's an amazing directorial debut, but I I agree with you. I think The Lighthouse succeeded in what it was trying to do in a way that yeah. maybe The Witch didn't at times. Um, yeah, yeah. I felt like that. And I really appreciated the black humour in The Lighthouse, which I felt was lacking yeah. in The Witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and it's it's also funny comparing the two because I feel like this is such a masculine film and not in like a, you know, mm. superhero buff kind of way. No. but you know the witch is so much about what it means to become a woman and find yourself you know hitting puberty and existing as a woman in the world but the lighthouse is so much about men and you know like I I hate to use the word like toxic masculinity because it's such like a a buzzword Mm. now but it is it's about how not dealing with effective guilt and emotions can drive men into yeah whatever happens when what, whatever happened yeah. in that film yeah and you yeah. know that's like the whole Promethean thing is Prometheus's pride led him to do something and it's a very masculine pride as well it's like oh I'm not going to listen to what someone's telling me to do then you're going to end up being pecked apart by birds the rest of yeah. your life then then you know Marvel you the you know you you killed the seagull you didn't do as you were told and so the ending is the seagull's revenge so <laughs> oh i just i hate as well how he's like he's covered in bird shit as well like that's just like a, uh, it's really yeah it's really disgusting it's, the ending, it's gross. like yeah it's satisfying but also like really repellent as yeah, well <laughs> it is and i someone put on twitter the other day i can't remember who it was but someone put like what are your 10 scariest scenes in horror movies not necessarily the whole movie itself but scariest scenes i would yeah. i would put this last five minutes in that for sure from yeah. the screaming to yeah. the end where we just end with nothingness. And I also think it's such a brave choice because so many horror films end in explosions and, you know, like satisfying yeah. stabs and blood and gore. This one just 
quietly fades out into nothingness. Yeah, and it's it's the quietness um, that it, there's a confidence in the filmmaking, which I think is quite spectacular given it's only his second feature, but there's a confidence in being able to end on the quiet. Yeah, absolutely. And not, yeah, and just to be secure in the story that you're telling and be like, I'm not going to give them any more than this because this is what yeah. they're given. Um, this is what it is. Yeah. I mean, the only thing we didn't really um, talk much about, but you flagged up was that as Women Made Horror, this is edited by a woman, that this is edited by Louise Ford, who I think sounds really fascinating. Like she's got, she's a British woman, got a degree in English literature, became a journalist and then pivoted to go into editing. And, you know, she edited The Witch, she edited Don't Breathe from 2016 and did The Lighthouse. And I've read lots of interviews with her and I find her fascinating mm. because... As someone who is not technical, I always think editing, oh, it must be super technical. And in all the interviews, she brushes all that off because she's like, it's about the story. Yes, I really, And yeah, I yeah, find yeah. that really satisfying. That to me is very pleasing and gives me hope that one day, not that I'd be anywhere like Louise Ford, but you know, that I might be able to master basic editing because for me, everything is about the story that you tell. So I just wanted to highlight Louise Ford as an example of a wonderful editor who's done some amazing feature work in the horror film genre. Yeah, so. and uh, hopefully we'll get so much more recognition then because, you know, like you said, the people, women especially, don't get enough recognition for their work behind the scenes. And it's it's thanks to her, in a way, that, you know, the, these characters are brought so much to life, you know, through her editing and yeah. her, like you said, her desire to tell the story and not, you know, fiddle around with yeah. all these fancy little, um, you know, transitions yeah. or whatever, which are great, but keep it yeah. simple and your work will speak for itself, I often think. Yeah. And she does totally. that perfectly. Alison, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've really enjoyed talking about The Lighthouse and thank you for all your amazing insights that you brought. And for, from a personal note, I would like to say thank you for being, and this sounds weird, but thank you for being so British with me and saying the word arse because <laughs> I have not had the word arse said on the podcast yet and I absolutely loved it. So thank well, you. That that's a legacy that I'm very happy to <laughs> have begun. Amazing. Um, everyone, check out Alison on Instagram at Instagram Alison Pierce please subscribe to Alison's amazing newsletter The Losers Club because um, I mentioned to Alison off mic that this was the inspiration between behind me starting my own it is a fantastic newsletter um, you'd learn you. so much about things that I haven't even thought about you know parts of films I've got so many great recommendations from your newsletter and um Oh, that's lovely. And that's what I need because I write it every two weeks, which is actually quite a lot when I work full time and do a million things. Yeah, I um, bet. And every so often I keep thinking, should I keep doing this? And then no, someone will go, oh, I really love it. And it cheers me up. And I think, oh, okay, I'll keep going. Please do. Because it honestly, like I said, it, it made me made my own and I absolutely love it. I love reading it. It's so fun. Um, also, you can check out Alison's book, Women Make Horror, Filmmaking, Feminism and Genre. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And and yeah, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, Hornblood Fire. Subscribe to my newsletter after you subscribe to Allison's. Um, on the website, I'll put all the links down below. Thanks, everyone. And goodbye. Goodbye.